everyone, it's Bernie here. Welcome to a special edition of the Koshcast. And by special, I don't mean the guy we left behind in 2018 by the name of Jose, but I'm talking about the year-end review for club football as told by the fans. And there's no better place to start. Well, maybe there is, but we'll start with Manchester City. A historic season, a historic year, a historic manager. Yes, they've wobbled of late, but they did beat Southampton 3-1 to regain their momentum. So I'll let a friend of the Kosh, Daniel Rouse, Manchester City fan, tell us all about it. In a year that saw City clinch the title in record time with the biggest point deficit over the second place team of 19 points, most consecutive victories of 18, most points of 100, and most goals of 106, well, you know, it's been a really, really special year for Manchester City. And, you know, along the way, they've, uh, you know, Pep Guardiola's kind of, you know, prompted these tactical shifts in the game. You see the amount of money that Chelsea put down for Kepper and Liverpool put down for Allison. That's from Manchester City. You know, they've they've really brought a goalkeeper into the game. The goalkeeper's practically an outfield player. And, you know, it's it's things like these, it's legacies and records that are going to be left where, you know, there's a legitimate claim that Manchester City are the best team in Premier League history. And, uh, you know, I never thought I'd say that when I you know, watch City lose at home to teams like Oldham and Wickham in the third tier. It's just dreamland, really. Um, as for the players who've come in, I mean, I feel like it's a little bit early and unfair to make comments on the summer signings, but I think Mares has started to uh, slot in quite nicely. And, uh, you know, as a January signing, um, Amerit Laporte has just gone from strength to strength. He, he didn't start too strongly, but this season he's arguably been City's best player and he's really come along nicely. And, you know, who'd have thought, you know, you know when City, I don't know, had... Andy Morrison at the back and stuff like that. You know, they, instead, now they've got these two ball-playing central defenders in John Stones and Laporte who you know, instigate an awful lot of attacks. Um, as for the best game of 2018, I mean, there's only one. 15th of April 2018, Manchester United nil, West Brom won. <laughs> Jay Rodriguez handing the title to Manchester City at Old Trafford. Fantastic stuff. Really, really great year. I mean, you know, a couple of losses either side of Christmas looked to maybe derailed, uh, you know, the pursuit for back-to-back titles. But who knows? There's a lot resting on Thursday. But, you know, from from where City used to be, it's been an absolutely fantastic 2018 and one that will be remembered forever. As a United fan, that was painful to listen to, but it was almost more painful to experience all the truth that Daniel was actually referring to there. Uh, we did give away the league title to Man City by losing at home to West Brom. But then again, the week before, we did beat them 3-2 at the Etihad to ensure that we did not give them the title on our backs. Um, But regardless, Man City, imperious, imperious performance, great management by Pep Guardiola, the organization's firmly behind behind the team, behind the manager. Uh, You have to applaud them for what they've done. Uh, So... The next team we're going to talk about here is Manchester United. For me personally, it was a very, very weird year. Manchester United finished second in the league, uh, the highest position since Sir Alex Ferguson left. They got an FA Cup final. They got out of their Champions League group. It's It sounds like something that should feel good, but it didn't. It all went very, very wrong, despite going right and then going wrong at the end for a certain Portuguese man. Roche Rana, Koshcast regular, founder of one of the Kosh blog, is going to walk us through Manchester United's 
2018. Manchester United's 2018 calendar year was one to forget. Failure in the Champions League round of 16 was a particularly bitter pill to swallow as the Reds were eliminated at home to Sevilla. A few months later, an FA Cup final loss to Chelsea summed up a trophyless campaign for the Reds. Despite finishing second in the league, cracks in Jose Mourinho's reign were alarmingly apparent. These issues continued into the start of the 2018-19 season as the team lost twice in their opening three fixtures in the league, including a 3-0 home drubbing to Spurs. Squad imbalance combined with rifts with senior management and players made Mourinho's sacking unsurprising. He was never really a true reflection on the club's values and never seen as a long-term appointment. United will be relishing the fresh start after his departure. The arrival of Solskjaer has been refreshing for the squad and the fans, but there is still a lot of work to be done. Solskjaer will look to build on his positive start and be in the running for a full-time role as a manager. But his results need to come into play. The club is still in three out of four major competitions for the season, and the stakes are high, and a top-four finish is the very minimum target for the squad. Anything beyond a round of 16 finish in the Champions League combined with a top-four finish will be considered a miracle, but failure to stay in contention for the top-four will be a total disaster. There has never been more pressure on the manager or the squad than now. The second half of the season will be a true test of character for the future of the club and its players. So yes, it has been that type of year for Manchester United. A lot of gloom and doom. But the moment of the year for Manchester United fans was seeing Jose Mourinho get sacked and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer get the job. And, by the way, since Solskjaer has come in, United have won three games on the bounce, 5-1, 4-1, 3-1, uh, not in that order. They've scored tons of goals. They're playing beautiful football. If you haven't seen Rashford's Elastico against um, Bournemouth to set up Paul Pogba, you have to see that. You also have to see Paul Pogba and how he's being reborn, looking like a £90 million midfielder. But let's see what happens when Manchester United get to play Tottenham Hotspur. That will be the true test of all this optimism. That will be the true test of this free-flowing, expressive football. That Then we might be able to say 2019 will be a lot better for Man United than 2018 was. And speaking of Spurs, we've got Nathan Clark uh, to tell us about Spurs. Will Pochettino leave? Will he stay? What's 2019 going to look like? We're just kidding. We're going to look back on 2018 for Tottenham Hotspur in what has been a very, very good year, all things considered. 2018 has been a very quiet year for Spurs, but it's been quietly very good. We've played a lot of games at Wembley and we've waited a long time for the new stadium, which is probably just around the corner, but it's felt like it's just around the corner for way too long. The football has been decent to watch, but not brilliant. The results have been, you know, realistically looking at the wider context, very good but they still felt that tiny bit disappointing based on what we think we could be. If only we had bought some players in the summer or last January or maybe coming up soon this January. In the film in Bruges, Tottenham are compared to purgatory, right? Not good, but not shit. And it has been good, but there's still that essence of purgatory hanging over us. We're not there. We're not, we haven't arrived. We're not at the next stage. We haven't quite got just enough good players. Um, and now the fear sets in around Pochettino. Is he going to stick around? Have we lost our window for greatness? Again, we need to take that step back. Look at that wider context. By rights, we should never finish higher than sixth. And yet here we are. Kind of disappointed 
disappointed at what's probably going to be third or maybe fourth. We do have great players. We do have a great manager. We do play great football. And we're taking Champions League into the new stadium. So taking it all into its proper context, it has been a very good year for Tottenham. And there's no better validation for the work of the manager than Real Madrid, Manchester United, and and, and Barcelona at one point uh, inquiring about the services of uh, Mauricio Pochettino. Uh, they have a new stadium coming up. Um, it hopefully will be ready in the next month or so. And that's going to be great because the Champions League, as Nathan alluded to, coming into that stadium is going to be brilliant. Uh, Tottenham had a little bit of a wobble recently, losing 3-1 to Wolves. Uh, which may have halted any talk of a title challenge, for now at least. But let's go on to the team that is not just challenging, but leading the pack in the Premier League, and for the first time in 30 years, may just be able to bring the Premier League back to Anfield. We have our friend Omar Abdul-Jalil, a lifelong Liverpool fan, to tell us about Liverpool in 2018. 2018 as a Liverpool fan, it's been amazing, and the good news just keeps getting better. Um, we started off with with a good win streak, um, unbeaten at home uh, at Anfield for the whole year. Um, I think we've, you know, we, we've just conceded maybe like three goals in the league at home, or probably even less. It, it's it's insane and it's it's great. Um, Jurgen Klopp has been. A revelation to how Liverpool have been playing and just the behavior of the fans. He's he's really he really creates a great balance um, for a Liverpool fan to be excited and be hopeful for the future, but at the same time, um, don't get too excited. Don't you know purchase your Liverpool Champions League winners or Liverpool Premier League winners scarves and 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 merchandise just because hey we're taking it one game at a time and I love that. But as a Liverpool fan, I'm always excited for the next game. Um, the way they've been playing um, has been um, exciting. Probably um, one of, if not the most exciting team in the league to watch. Um, this season, they've really um, taken care of the the Dijon pressing. They're not they're not going crazy and they're not playing like a bunch of sheep following the ball. Now they're playing a bit more um, composed. And I loved it. I, I love how they're adapting. That means, you know, they're not getting these five nothing wins as regularly, but they're definitely keeping clean sheets and, and less injuries. Um, in terms of my best player, it has to be Mo Salah. Um, you know, he broke the Premier League scoring record of, of 32 goals. But what was so impressive about that is he did it in the most games. He doesn't score you know, five goals in a game and then doesn't score for the next two games, he, he more often than not scores in, in back-to-back-to-back games uh, a lot more often than we've ever seen in the league. Um, the best game for me, and, and it probably goes to the best moment, was um, the first leg of the Champions League against Manchester City where they won, um, I think it was 3 or 4-1. Either way, um, just... Man City was so dominant back then in, in the Champions League and in the Premier League. Um, it really seemed like no one could stop them. And and even if someone did beat them, it, it seemed almost impossible to replicate that. And, and what um, Jurgen Klopp did in terms of outclassing and outperforming um, Pep Guardiola 
just the way the Liverpool team completely destroyed that Man City game and uh, Man City team in the Champions League was phenomenal. Um, finally, the best signing for me um, for 2018 definitely, definitely, definitely has to be Virgil Virgil Van Dijk. He was. It's not just that he was the missing piece to make that defense look good. He, for some reason, made the entire team a lot more confident um, just because um, when you have Jordan Henderson as your defensive mid and you had Mignolet as your as your goalie, um, you really <laughs> need some leadership there. And, and he provided that. He was... Um, he's just... He never goes past second gear for some reason, yet always um, defends like a world-class player. Um, obviously, some of the comparisons of him to be the best Premier League defender of all time are um, way too uh, premeditated, but he definitely has the qualities uh, combined of all the best defenders who have ever played in the Premier League. All right, thanks, man. Virgil van Dijk, with all the qualities of the best centre-backs to ever play the game in the Premier League. We're talking about Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, Nemanja Vidic, uh, Sol Campbell, the list goes on and on. I think he has it. I agree with Omar, but let's see what happens. Liverpool will need to win the league to cement that type of status for players like him. Uh, Mohamed Salah is having a great year, of course. Uh, we cannot uh, we cannot forget to mention the fact that uh, he was third in the Ballon d'Or, um, I believe it was. So he has had a sensational year, and that only helps elevate Liverpool. Uh their strike force is having a, a great year. Uh, uh, Mane, Firmino, they're having a wonderful time, and they showed that against Arsenal, romping to victory 5-1 against the Gunners. Uh, it was a wonderful performance after going 1-0 down. Uh, the gag and pressing was on show. This was heavy metal football. I think we've heard those two terms over and over again in 2018. But it is real. It is working. And it was working at Arsenal for 22 games going unbeaten, but they've had a wobble of late, uh, losing to uh, Southampton 3-2, and now Liverpool 5-1. Can they pick it up? Can Unai Emery's boys show that they're ready for the fight in 2018, just like they were for the second half of 2018? Let's get uh, our friend Gunnar RK, as I like to call him, Raheem, to tell us about Arsenal. Hi, everyone. Raheem here, doing a mid-season Arsenal review. Uh, for the 2018-2019 season. Uh, for those frequent listeners of the Koshcast, I'm Mohana's brother. Um, so you can say Arsenal runs through the family there. Um, I'll start off with the only logical place to start, which is Arsene Wenger's departure, really. I'm not going to go over all the great stuff he's done over the last couple of decades. I'm just going to jump straight to the change that happened at the club with a new structure, a little bit more distribution of power with the appointments of Raul, Sanyehi, Vinay, um, Sven Mislintat and finally uh, Emery as head coach um, we saw right away kind of a step change in intensity um, more tactical flexibility with Emery that we haven't seen before which was kind of refreshing um, I think a double substitution uh, is something that at halftime is, is unheard of in, in Wenger's era so that was a bit refreshing seeing that tactical flexibility from Emery game to game um, we got in some, a few new new faces, Leno, Torreira, Socrates, and Lichsteiner. Um, weren't really blockbuster signings, however, um, we needed a center back, we needed a defensive mid, and we and we got those. 
Um, Leno was also seen kind of as a replacement, long-term replacement for uh, Petr Cech. We started with two losses, uh, City and Chelsea. The City, we were outclassed that game, uh, I take that. However, the Chelsea game, I felt like we, we deserved something out of that game. i say a point at least. There were some good things um, from those games, but it was still evident that there was still quite some work to do uh, under Emery. So we followed that up with a 22-game unbeaten run. Uh, that We didn't play as well as that stat might show. Um, we rode our luck at times, but at the end of the day, going 22 games unbeaten is no easy feat. And within that run, I think the, the result that really shines through is the... Uh, um, is the 4-2 win against Tottenham, our North London rivals. Um, but we'll talk about that later. Um, we're in a bit of a rough patch at the moment. Over Christmas, there's a lot of games, or a lot of injuries, and our, our squad is really thinning. And if, we re- if we're really serious in, in, in challenging for that top four for the second half of the season, I feel that the board really needs to back Emery in this January transfer window with a, with a couple of key signings. Um, I'll jump right into the goal of the season. So far, um, I'm going to go with the with the goal at home to Leicester. I know a lot of fans would choose the away to Fulham goal, but the, the goal at home to Leicester was just great with all the with all the combination. Ozil letting it through go through his legs and all that. Uh, Aubameyang with a simple finish. It was a great team goal overall. Um, best signing, I'm going to go with Lucas Torreira for, for that amount of money for, I think it was like 27 million pounds or somewhere around there. Um, best moment, I'm also going to stick with Torreira in the North London Derby for sure. That, uh, that goal to seal it to the end was, uh, was really, was really a great moment. It was kind of, uh, to seal the deal kind of moment. Um, also Kolasinac in the, the same game in the corner flag kind of holding, the Arsenal flag as if as if we conquered um, some I don't know uh, it was it just felt it just felt great um, so yeah that's it for the uh, really brief season review so far looking forward to to 2019 uh, just briefly before I end I'm just going to touch on the Europa League as well so we finished top of the group there we gave some some opportunities to some youngsters to show to show what what they're made of. Uh, Smith Rowe, Ainsley Maitland Lyles. Um, I think we've got some some good quality youngsters coming through. However, we also there's there's really some gaps in the squad that we need to fill with with, with some experienced players. We're in dire need of a winger. We need a center back. Um, so if we are to challenge for that top four spot, we really need to address those uh, in January. Thank you everyone for listening. Looking forward to 2019. So we're gonna switch gears. And switch countries. I know, I know, I know, Chelsea fans. We did the Premier League, and it feels like we're skipping you, but we're not. We're coming back to you guys right at the end to round off the show, so stay tuned for that. But right now, we want to go to Italy, specifically Turin, to talk to Tarek Abdullah about Juventus. It's been, you know, status quo type of year. They win the league. They get decently far in the Champions League. Um, But they were outdone in the Champions League by a certain Cristiano Ronaldo, who they've now brought on board. And let's hear all about what that means for 2018 for Juventus. Hello, my name is Tarek. I'm a big fan of Under the Kosh podcast. I'm a Juventus supporter, and this is my year in review. 2018 was actually a good year for my Juventus overall. We've won a fourth consecutive domestic double, 
and say what you want to say about the Serie A, but when you have a second place team that has 91 points, Sarri's Napoli were no slouch. And we've carried the form into this season and we've had the best start in Serie A so far, historically, and that's saying something. We're unbeaten and we've topped our Champions League group. So the biggest moment of the year has to be in the summer. We signed someone, with, I don't know if you've heard of him, called Cristiano Ronaldo. It was pretty surreal at the time and the impact he's had commercially and financially and uh, the exposure that he gives you. And he's just part of the management's vision to compete financially with the best teams in Europe. Um, the best player so far this season, I would have to say Juan Cancelo. Might be a shock to you guys. But he was actually one of the reasons we ended up signing Ronaldo because they're both Jorge Mendes clients. But uh, he's been nothing sort of sensational. He's one of the best fullbacks in the world so far. And um, he's played really well this season. And he hasn't been playing of late. And that's why we, our form has dipped, in my opinion. Mario Mandzukic, honorable mention. He's been our warrior. And he's been clutch of late. He scored goals against Roma, Milan, Inter, Napoli, and Lazio of recent note, which is saying something this season alone. Um, uh, looking forward, I think uh, the main goal for Juventus in 2019 is to win the Champions League. I think there's nothing left for the players to accomplish aside that. It would validate this group of players. It would put Allegri's era in Trapattoni and Lippi in terms of Juventus football history. So I think Juventus now have the confidence. They have the technical ability playing out of the back and possession football while maintaining their defensive identity. And I think in the Champions League, it depends all about fortune and like who you draw and like lucky breaks. But I think this Juventus team is, has the confidence and the swagger to win it. And this year, I don't see any juggernaut. All the top teams in Europe are fallible. And I think it just depends on who gets a lucky break or who gets the easier route or the better matchup. So I think Juventus has a big shot to go through. And we're all hoping for it. Thank you so much for having me on this UTC short. Happy holidays. Fino alla fine. Forza Juve. I absolutely agree with Tarek here. Juventus are a force to be reckoned with in the Champions League. For me, they are potential uh, winners, and they were my pick um, to win this thing uh, at the beginning of the season, uh, especially now that they've added Cristiano, but they've also added Cancelo, who, you know... I have my biases against certain English right-backs, and I think this guy's better than, better than that guy. Um, but let's talk about the team that has won four out of the last five Champions Leagues, who we aren't even mentioning as a potential contender to win the thing this year for various reasons over, over the course of 2018. And uh, journalist, friend of the Kosh cast, Rahul Kavapale, will tell us all about it. So when Under the Kosh asked me to look back on 2018 for Real Madrid, I realized that this year is ending kind of the way it began, you know, with the talk of crisis and a lot of negativity surrounding the team. Because at the start of the year, we were knocked out of the Spanish Cup by Leganes. We were terrible in La Liga and we were drawn against PSG in the round of 16 because we finished second in our group. But fast forward to May and we had a fourth Champions League title in five years. I mean, it's incredible just how big an antidote the Champions League is for Real Madrid. And it really helped cover up a disappointing season in La Liga where we finished 17 points off the top. And I think that's part of the reason why Zidane decided to step down. He felt his cycle was complete. He felt he couldn't motivate the team as much as they needed for uh, domestic football. And he left on top on his own terms, so respect to him. 
So Zidane left and so did another club legend in uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. So it was a real summer of upheaval for us. And uh, on the coaching front, Julian Lopetegui was brought in and after a promising start, things went downhill and you know he was sacked after the 5-1 humiliation in the Clasico. Personally, I think J-Lo, was, J-Lo, as I call him, was really unlucky. I would have kept him, but that's just me. Uh, so enter Santi Solari, who's someone I loved as a player. As a coach, though, he's renowned in Real Madrid fan circles for being one of the worst coaches in the history of Real Madrid Castilla, which is our reserve team. But he got the top job, and under him, the results have improved somewhat, but the team still looks very unimpressive. So now, heading into January, we've been drawn against Leganes in the Copa del Rey yet again. Hopefully, they don't knock us out again this time. And uh, we have Ajax in the round of 16 of the Champions League. So as of now, at this juncture of the season, I fully expect us to end the season without a major trophy. But given how the past five years have been for us, I'm at, I'm at peace with that. So to summarize, as I said at the beginning, Real Madrid's 2018 started like shit. It's ending like shit. But the middle part, that third consecutive Champions League trophy, Ronaldo bicycle kick, Bale bicycle kick, I mean, incredibly special. So that's obviously what I'm going to remember 2018 for as a Madridista. And so there you have it. That's my summary of uh, Real Madrid's 2018 for Under the Kosh. Happy New Year to everyone out there in the Under the Kosh community, even Barca fans. Happy New Year to you guys too. Cheers. Isn't it lovely when a Real Madrid fan shadily wishes Barcelona fans a Happy New Year as well? Love it, love it. It's a, it's, it's, it's one of the elite, right? It is the elite rivalry in football. Um, so there's no other place to go next than Barcelona. Uh, it has been a good year in many, many ways, winning the league, winning the cup. Um, but it's been weird, and 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 Raymond will will, will tell you all about that. But one thing that I, I want to mention is this is the first year, and wherever Leo Messi goes, Barcelona goes, where. Messi was not in contention for FIFA Best or for the Ballon d'Or. Uh, yes, he endured a terrible World Cup um, by his country standards, not by his all, all alone. But fifth in the Ballon d'Or—that's crazy. With the with the goals he scored, assists he he's he's gotten. I mean, he's gotten the most free kicks. It's everyone knows I'm not his biggest fan because I have a bias towards someone else, not because of my thoughts of his ability, but. Fifth in the Ballon d'Or is robbery, and let's hope that everything returns back to normal in 2019 there. So that being said, I'm glad to have blogger uh, Raymond Utsuk to talk to us about Barcelona's calendar year. Um, I think first of all, it's just important to note that there are very few clubs where a domestic double and that away goes exits in Champions League's quarterfinal is met by a significant degree of disappointment. Then again, everybody knows that Barca isn't really any other club. I mean, they do advertise themselves as being more than a club. Um, but yeah, that's been 2018 for Ernesto Valverde and Barcelona as a club. In 2018 has been about finding balance and it's been about managing expectations. Um, you know, there's been tension between tradition and pragmatism. Valverde has been accused of being too cautious. Um, there's been tension between results and entertainment. There's been requests for balance between defense and attack. Um, you know, and ultimately, I guess between you know satisfaction of fans' desires and perspective. Um, La Liga 2017-2018 was won pretty easily, nearly unbeaten, except for the um, except for the debacle at was it Ibar or um, Levante 
yeah, I believe it was Levante. Um, the Copa del Rey featured demolition of Sevilla in the final and Iniesta's send off, in which he was spectacular. Um, 2018, new season, 2018-2019, started off a bit tricky. Once again, it was that quest for balance. I think Valverde was sort of trying to appease um, the fans in a way. Um, that didn't really work out, but, you know, we sort of found balance again. Um, PK has been spectacular in the last few weeks. Usman Dembele has been brilliant. So Suarez is back on form. I mean, demolition of Real Madrid was just case in point, and that was without Messi as well. So... I think we're sort of going into the new year optimistic. Um, going back to Dembele, it's amazing how um, <laughs> it's amazing this season how he can be such an island of efficiency. I would say, and the storm that he has created. But you know he's young and he's still learning, so it's time for him to grow. Um, so you asked me for my best signing. Uh, I think my best signing in 2018. I'm tempted to say Coutinho, but I prefer Longlair because I think Longlair has provided us with depth that we've required at defence. Um, he doesn't get injured. He's pretty much a Barcelona defender through and through. His passing is fantastic. Splits the lines very well. He's proactive. He's a really good defender and I think he works well with Piquet. Um, best player. <sighs> Come on. I mean, I'm not going to dignify that. <laughs> yeah, Messi has been incredible once again and um, he's just continued his form into the new season. So, yeah, hopefully his interestingly enough, hopefully the injury he picked up would actually help keep him fresh as the season wears on. Best moment, um, it's probably the match against Inter Milan at the San Siro. Um, I know it's not strictly a moment, but I'll never forget finishing that game and thinking that I'd watched one of the best performances by the club in a very very long time. It was a brilliant performance to be honest. Um, Everybody was everybody was in sync. The game was controlled. The game was very deliberate. Racket just spectacular. Coutinho was amazing. Luis Suarez played brilliantly. I think all in all, that was that was probably the most complete performance. Where I felt like okay, right, I really have something going on here. Tottenham was good at uh, Wembley, uh, and also the five zero against Sevilla was also good. But I think yeah, that game at San Siro against Inter Milan was it. Um, I hope that works for you. And um, yeah, thanks for inviting me to this. So there you have it, uh, Barcelona in 2018. Um, I thought the choice of Lenglet as a signing of the season by Raymond was an interesting one. Um, he has been quietly good, I have to say, after a rocky start. Um, but his uh, introduction video um, from Barcelona, if you haven't seen it, please go see that. It's a talking football, trying to act like the sorting hat from Harry Potter, and then it then proceeds to show a bunch of highlights for Lionel Messi unrelated to Lenglet and then just ends abruptly saying, enjoy Lenglet. So that was odd. On the basis of that alone, I would say he's the worst signing of all time. <laughs> but uh, that has nothing to do with performance on the pitch. Uh, so um, we've got, we're going back to England, back to London, to Chelsea. Uh, it's a slightly different format from the rest. That's where I want to put this at the end. Uh, I invited a friend of mine, Jake Walls, from Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, to talk with me. Um, we had a phone call talk with me about Chelsea's year and Chelsea as a whole. Uh, Jake got into football in 2012. Uh, I call him Captain America. Um, we have a little bit of discussion about Christian Pulisic, about Sarri, um, what Conte did and wrong and maybe did right, uh, and what Chelsea need 
to have a, a better 2019. All right, check it out. Uh, yeah, I'm optimistic. Uh, there's some things that I like about Sorry, some things that I'm still not super uh, excited for with the club and just decisions that they've made. Um, I, I don't I don't understand the their tendency to it's like, well, let's buy another midfielder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, well, I think our defense is what <laughs> really needs work. And it's been that way for, you know, since Mourinho was sacked. Um, you know, we need we need a center back. You know, they, they don't play Christensen um, because of a couple mistakes, but we hang on to Rudiger, who's continually just not good. Right. Um, he's, he's had spells where he's been – you know, he's been consistent and he's been okay, but he's just not, he's not what, you know, um, Antonio Conte thought he was. That's for sure. Obviously, he's not like a Bakayoko-sized bus, but he, um, he he's not good enough to start for Chelsea, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, I was, I was excited when we, when we got sorry. I, I would have, I thought that he would bring Kolobali with him, um, Kolobali is one of my favorite players. He's a beast. Um, it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to like if you could name two or three better center backs in the world, I, you know, I'd be impressed. Um, but yeah, the, you know, he's 27 years old. He's still still in his prime. Um, and we, you know, sorry, chooses Jorginho to bring over, which he's nice in possession. He can pass out of the mid, which is great. Um, but he's. I don't know. He's just not that piece that we were missing. We had already taken Kovacic on loan. Um, we've got uh, plenty of – we've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek sitting there waiting for minutes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, N'Golo Conte, probably the best defensive midfielder in the world. Uh, yeah, I just didn't really understand that move. But they looked okay. Their possession numbers are phenomenal. Um, I think they broke the Premier League record earlier in the season with uh, the amount of possession that they had against um, – I want to say it was a recently promoted club. It might have been Newcastle. I'm not sure. Um, I think it was the number yeah, of passes I mean, look, in the game itself, and, and Jorginho was a big part of that. He was. He was, yeah. And, and the kid's good. Um, he's good. I just – our midfield's so stacked, and, like, I would just – I would prefer them just do something with who we have. Right. You know, like, either get rid of Fabregas, like, move on from him. Or just make a move, you know, because <laughs> it's like we've just got all these guys just kind of sitting there. So, so since we're talking about signings, um, the ones that come to mind are Kepa and Goal, because um, Thibaut yeah. Courtois went to Real Madrid, what seems like a steal for them. Um, brought in Jorginho, uh, Kovacic on loan. I can't remember if there's any other signings, but <clears throat> who would you say has been your signing of the, of the year, 2018 so far? Keppa, okay. Keppa, Keppa for sure. Yeah, um, Thibaut was. I love the kid, and I, and I still do. But I mean, you've seen Real Madrid this season. Yep, poor, um, very poor. He's he's about as porous as can be when it ter- when in terms of goalkeepers. It, I mean, he's letting everything in, and their back four is phenomenal. You know what I mean? Um, so there's not a lot more. There's not a, pla- a lot of places he can lay blame. Um, Keppa's been great. I mean, he's young still. Uh, he's super athletic. You know, he was, you know, he's a record transfer fee for a keeper, but obviously I think it's been worth it. If you've watched him play, he's not made, he doesn't make many mistakes. 
Um, it's just once we once we sort out our because our, our back four is, you know, Cesar Spilicueta for me is the best defender in the Premier League, um, and I know that may be peppered with a little bit of bias, but well, well <laughs> I truly believe that um, he has a long way to go to be better than thirty. He, he's still good. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always thought he was fit better as a center defensive mid, but um, he's been in and out of that role. But we just don't have the right back four in terms of center backs. Um, and, and you know, what goals Kepa has allowed, I right. feel, for the most part, is, has been because of his, you know, because of the lack of uh, consistency we have in the center back position. So, Moving moving away from signings, what would you say has been your the best moment as, as a Chelsea fan? I'm going to ask you about your best match, but your best moment in 2018. Oh, eight, 2018. Um, Eden getting a hundred was was great. Oh yeah, um, that was great. That was really cool to see. Um, you know, and he said recently he he'd like to stay. He'd like to be a you know one of the top scorers in Chelsea history, which you know with with the other things he had been saying about you know possibly playing in Madrid, that was somewhat refreshing to hear. We'll see what he does still, but I mean the kid's been a fixture and he's been a top five player for you know how many years. Uh, so it was cool to see him hit that. Uh, it was uh, it was nice to see Murata kind of break out of his spell for a little bit, but now he's kind of back, right back into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was really excited, man, when, when Murata started to come out and, you know, actually do his thing. And, and then it seemed like he just, yeah, he, he just nosedived right back into it. Yeah. Um, he, he really did. I'm I not sure like, you can save him. Now Eden Hazard is playing up front um, by himself. And yeah, by the way, yeah. that, that worked, at least it seemed to work against Man City. And, I say that because that was an impressive performance um, in a year that has been, I would say, you have had some great performances, you have had some lows, but what would you say has been the best match that you've seen in 2018 uh, for Chelsea? Man, that's a, that's a difficult question. Um, there's obviously been a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> um, for a second there, it looked like, you know, we were we were the top contender and we were looking good and, um, and everything was falling in place. Obviously beating city was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always a good thing. And that's, I mean, I honestly, that's just a testament to how good city is. Um, is beating city than bigger than city winning game, the FA cup? Um, what's that? Is beating city bigger than winning the FA cup against Man United? I don't think so. Okay. Not when there's a trophy involved. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. As a, as a United fan, I hate to bring that up, but yeah, winning a trophy is always a, always a big deal. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and then you know we we had that three uh, two win against Arsenal um, in August. You know, early in the season, that was nice. Um, you know, we we just have had these. I guess non-consistent moments of like you know we we destroyed um, Southampton and Burnley you know we've had these games where we just looked like a a killer club and then the next month we'll lose a Tottenham three one you know it's just uh, it's hard to pick the best moment you know but I beating City was huge I, I would say at the moment it's still fresh in my mind 
beating City is probably the, the best for me so uh, far. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks so much, Jake, uh, for being a part of this. Uh, Jake and I did have a further conversation about uh, U.S. men's national team, Captain America, Christian Pulisic, and uh, the United States not being in the World Cup, which we'll make available at a later time. Uh, we'll wrap up with the discussion about the World Cup. Um, for me, this was the best World Cup I've ever seen. Um, of course, um, it's not as many as my dad and other people may have seen, but um, as far as football being a globally televised sport that everyone can watch on demand, this was the, the greatest. And we all know that there were uh, there was contention, there was controversy about the World Cup being in, in Russia, um, the vast distances between stadiums and the political situation, but the product on the field was spectacular. And we had all sorts of themes going around. Um, started off, uh, for me, uh, the, the Nigerian kit that, that sold 3 million units in 15 minutes. There were lines around blocks in, in almost every country where it came out. You couldn't even get it here in Canada. Um, the, the Super Eagles justify uh, their wonderful kits on the field? Maybe not. Um, did score one of the goals of tournaments, Ahmed Musa against Iceland, so there was that. Um, but being rocked by uh, Lionel Messi and that goal he scored against us um, in the the final group stage game was heartbreaking. Um, there was a Cristiano Ronaldo hat trick against against Spain that was uh, fantastic. Uh, of course, we saw VAR um, in the beginning. It, it had some mixed reviews, but as the tournament progressed, VAR got uh, better game by game. Um, of course, uh, we cannot. Uh, leave without talking about Germany not getting past the group stage the the racism attached to, Me to Mesut Ozil as a result of him meeting uh, the Turkish Prime Minister before the World Cup so many storylines but of course um, football was about to come home uh, uh, the three Lions of England got to the semi-finals and uh, maybe with some better finishing um, and some more composure could have gone all the way to the final but instead Luka Modric and Croatia went all the way uh, and they lost at the final hurdle to France. Kylian Mbappe, Rafa Varane, N'Golo Kante, Paul Pogba, Antoine Griezmann. Um, those were the stars of the show for France for me. Um, Samuel Umtiti as well, I can't forget, and Hernandez. Uh, they just had the better team. And in the end of the day, yes, there were two contentious decisions um, in the final that involved VAR as well. But I don't think we can argue with the fact that France were the better team on the day than Croatia and over the whole tournament. Croatia did require penalty kicks, uh, penalty shootout wins, I think, three times. So on the balance of it all, France did deserve to win. But what? But the repercussions of this World Cup um, were far and vast. Uh, Luka Modric won the FIFA Best Award and the FIFA, and sorry, the, the Ballon d'Or. Whether you agree with that or not, the duopoly of Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi is officially over. Perhaps next season, based on their exploits um, this year, that might come back. But it is a little bit refreshing to see other people in the mix. Uh, Mbappe, Salah, Modric, of course. Um, like I said, I do believe they will be back. But this is the year of Luka Modric, the year of the midfielder, and we'll take that for what it is. So that's it. I just want to say thank you to all our contributors for this review. And thank you guys for listening to the Koshcast in 2018. Cheers.
thank you for downloading the Koshcast. Get in touch at underthekoshblog at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at under underscore the kosh. And for articles, predictions, and the full experience, go to underthekoshblog.com. Thank you.